hope that uh, you brought your Bibles uh, today. We are making this journey through discovering Maysville, and uh, it is a joy to be at this section where we're going to be talking about our statements. Our statements. When you came in today, you should have received a little uh, pamphlet called the Baptist Faith and Message. I hope each one of you got one of these. If you did not receive one of these, I'm asking you to please pick one of these up uh, as you leave. Uh, you can get those at the Welcome Center. I uh, would love for each and every member to have one of these as a reference to uh, our faith statement that we're going to be talking about here in just a little while. There is a reason why we're Southern Baptist. This is a Southern Baptist church. And uh, we don't apologize about that. We're very grateful and very thankful to the Lord that we're a Southern Baptist church. And so we're a very enthusiastic uh, Southern Baptist church. We love the Lord Jesus with all of our heart. And we uh, praise the Lord together. And we are so grateful uh, to be Southern Baptist. And we thank the Lord uh, even in the midst of our difficulties. And we're going to talk about more about our structure next week. Uh, but in regards to who we are, we are a Southern Baptist church and a Southern Baptist congregation. So that makes us a family. And the question that we ask is, what makes us a family? As Southern Baptist, what makes us a family? And we just basically said there are four things that make us a family here at Maysville Baptist Church. And these are the four things that we've been presenting to you over the last couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Chris kicked us off and did an outstanding job by introducing this series, as well as talking about the very first point that makes us a family, and that is our salvation. Our salvation, first and foremost, makes us a family together. Because I have been saved and because you have been saved, the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all sin. And as we unite together in the body of Christ in this autonomous organization or organism, if you would, this living body of believers, we are united first and foremost by the salvation we've experienced in Jesus Christ. Number two, the second thing that makes us a family is our symbols. Our symbols. Now, we basically have already said last week that we are, there are two symbols of our faith. One is baptism, and the other is the Lord's Supper. And these two symbols represent and project in memory, a memorial, if you would, a remembrance of what Christ did for you and I. That is, save us. He died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again the third day. And so when you look at baptism, you should be able to see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then, number two, the Lord's Supper. When you see the Lord's Supper, it's so vitally important that we see the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we see that, we notice and we see in Scripture that it is a memorial. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so when we have the Lord's Supper together, the whole service is dedicated to the Lord's Supper. And through that, we do not call God down to us 
and memorialize, if you would, uh, his sacrifice all over again from a perspective of us calling him down, and, and it's called transubstantiation, and, and seeing him sacrificed again. That's not what we're doing. We are remembering what he did on Calvary's cross as his body was broken and as he bled for us. And by the way, let me just say, he didn't spill his blood. It was no accident. He intentionally poured himself out as a sacrifice offering for you and I that we might be able to connect back to God and have a relationship with him. Those are our two symbols the Bible speaks of. And then number three, what we want to look at today is our statements. Session three deals with our statements. We look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 10. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, had this to say. He said, Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 10 is so vitally important in relationship to our statements because it identifies who we are and what we are to be doing. Notice it again, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. If you have your pens, your pencils, lipstick, mascara, whatever it is you write with, let me call your attention to this verse to notice it just a little bit more closely. He says, now... I plead with you, brethren. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, is begging the believers at Corinth, who, by the way, they are in a very worldly city. It is a very immoral city. It is a very hostile city towards Christianity. It is a city of persecution. It is a, a city of lasciviousness. It is a city, uh, if you would, of fornication, sexual immorality everywhere. Anything you ever wanted in Corinth, you could have it, much like America today. And he is pleading, begging the church by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are two words that you must, must identify here, and that's the term brethren and our Lord Jesus Christ. He is speaking to born-again children of God. He's speaking to individuals that have joined the church at Corinth. They're meeting every Sunday. And as they're meeting, the world has crept into the church. And we're finding, as Paul is writing to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he says, I beg you, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that first and foremost, you all speak the same things. That is to say that you have some essentials in your life that you believe. And the most important essential that we have is that you cannot get to heaven by any other way but through Jesus Christ. That's the only way to get to heaven. And so he says this is a basic essential that you need, and there's many others, but he wants them to speak the same things along those lines. Also, he says, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly. The word perfectly there is a, it's a Greek word that translates into the English that gets us a synonym of maturity. 
He's saying, I want you guys to not be divided where you're church hopping. You're just going from church to church to church to church uh, and not be able to settle your disagreements and get right with God and get right with each other and be theologically and doctrinally sound so much so that the world looks at you and says, I want what they have. May it be here in this city, in this county, all over around us, within miles and miles, that they look at us and they say, they're not a perfect place, but they love Jesus and they know what they believe. And what they believe, sinners on the Word of God. And he goes on to say this. He says that you be perfectly or maturely joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, the word judgment there is him referring to the fact that what you believe in your heart, to the most part, as best as it can, makes sense in your head. I'm telling you, there are just some things that we have to operate on by faith. So what do you mean, Pastor? I I mean, look, I cannot, I can do everything in my power to explain to you the Trinity. But to fully understand it, is to stand before God himself where he enlightens us and we're not looking through a glass dimly anymore. But we know that it is true. So much true that God in his wisdom when he ordained biblical marriage between a man and a woman, he said that it is a reflection of the Trinitarian design of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so we find that he wants, Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, wants the church to say this same thing. And so there is these statements that have to be made. And from the first century all the way to today in 2021, there have been decades, if you would, or seasons of time, or dispensations, if that's a better word for you. There have been these ages that existed throughout history where mankind takes upon himself and begins to want to be the only uh, conduit, if you would, by which your understanding of God would be. This philosophy, this approach to Scripture is what led us into the Dark Ages. And in the Dark Ages, there was no one who had a copy of the Word of God. There was no one who had, uh, 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 could read the Word of God. You could only understand the Word of God if a priest stood up and communicated and told you what that meant. There was a man that came through, and there were men before Martin Luther, but there were men that came like John Huss and that came through and, 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 and the printing press and Whitfield and all of the, and Tyndale as they all came upon the scene and they began to mass produce the Word of God and produce it in such a way where men and women could actually read it and understand it. And finally, one day, while Martin Luther was, he was uh, writing a commentary on the Psalms and also writing a commentary on the book of Romans. And as he was reading it, the Holy Spirit just popped him and said, Listen, the only way for you to get to heaven is not through the sacraments of the church, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And that led him to a revelation that could only come from God where he nailed 95 reasons why the Catholic Church was abusing the sacraments. 
And as he progressed all the way through in the 1500s, all the way up to 1520, God continued to speak into his heart. And as God spoke into his heart, it branched off, if you would, individuals like Zwigli, where uh, developed the Anabaptist, which turned into the Baptist, which came into the Northern Baptist, and then came into the Southern Baptist. And here we are today, looking at Scripture and identifying the fact that the only reason why we're here is because of Jesus. And so there, there's this confession of faith that we have to have. And as it relates to you and I at Maysville Baptist Church, this confession is statements that we make together. And the two statements that we have here at Maysville Baptist Church Number one is a purpose statement, and number two is a faith statement. I want us to look very quickly, if I, we could, at our purpose statement. Our purpose statement at Maysville Baptist Church is, a, in a nutshell, why we exist. Why do we exist as Maysville Baptist Church? The purpose statement of Maysville Baptist Church is... Loving God, loving others, and serving the world. And you've been hearing this now for seven years, and we've been talking about it, and we've been saying that's our purpose statement, and that's what we do, and that's how we've identified who we are. But what does it mean? What does it mean to love God, love others, and serve the world? Well, let me just say, if I could, by way of introduction, number one, we love God by participating in biblical worship. Let that sink in just for a minute because what it's not saying is that we love God by being in a biblical worship service. No, it says that we love God here at Maysville Baptist Church by participating in biblical worship. The highlight of every service here is Jesus and we know the, the, the frequency by which we're going to communicate with Jesus is the Word of God. And so we think and we, our minds go to John chapter number 4, verse 23. As Jesus is, is going through Samaria and he stops at this well. And as he stops at this well, there's this woman, this Samaritan woman. And she's thirsty. Uh, or, or Jesus is thirsty. And Jesus says, give me some water. And she uh, eventually, I, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but she draws this water up and, and, and tells her her sins and all of these things that's going on in her life. And then Jesus says this. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now. It's right now. The, the hour is coming and it's here today when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Did you catch through the mouth of Jesus in his word what he said God was searching for? He said according to John chapter 4 verse 23, the Father is seeking such who will worship him. Brothers and sisters, 
If we say that we love God, we must participate in biblical worship because God is seeking us to do so. Number two, the second thing we find is we find that loving others means participating in biblical discipleship through small groups. When we say that not only we love God and we do this by practicing or participating in biblical worship, we say we love others by participating in biblical discipleship through small groups. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Uh, Again, the writer of Hebrews, which there's a lot of debate uh, that goes on on who wrote who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, debates about Luke and, and, and Paul. And I've got my thoughts, but that's a non-essential. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But we find in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the Bible says this. Let us hold fast the confession, there it is, of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up and to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, of ourselves together, as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So what we're finding here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit has given us, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, he says that we have these confessions, these purpose statements, and we do not forsake coming together. We come together with the intention of building each other up and stirring us unto good works so that we might know the Word, study the Word, and do the work of of the Lord Jesus Christ as we exhort one another another as we see the day approaching. What day is that? The day the Lord comes back. So in this text he says, don't say I'm not going to a small group. We've got to be together in a small group. And then he he gives us this beautiful illustration in Hebrews 10. And, And we'll talk about more of it just here in just a moment. But let me go to the third one very quickly. We serve the world When we say we love God, love others, and serve the world, we serve the world by participating in biblical missions. And we do that locally, and we do that globally. Again, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we know this to be the Great Commission. Jesus tells us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So we find here, this is our purpose statement, and this is what we mean. But let's dig down, if we could, just a little bit more specifically. And let's look at each one of these once again. But let's look at them through the lens of practical participation. So first of all, we say loving God. We love God by participating in biblical worship. The question that I want to answer this morning is what is biblical worship? What is biblical worship? When you come to Maysville Baptist Church, there are 11, and there are others, but there are 11 clear elements of biblical worship here on Sunday morning. 11 beautiful pictures, if you would, of biblical worship. Number one, the first one is biblical preaching. Now, I'm just going to say this. If you're going to have biblical preaching, you've got to have a Bible. Can I get a witness right there? I mean, this, if you're our guest 
Normally, the, what, what happens here from the pulpit is the Bible is right here open, right beside the outline and the notes the Lord's given me for the week, and we systematically, uh, expositorily go through the Word of God, principle by principle, precept by precept. I want this church, and it's a deep, deep conviction that I have from the Word of God, I want us to be a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, hell-hot, heaven-high church that loves Jesus. So, so this is, this is our primary textbook. The Bible tells us this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Paul's writing to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word. Be instant or be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. So if you want to know what my job description is on Sunday morning, right here it is. And some of you might even be saying, I can't believe that he's even here preaching today. I can't believe it. His, his, his stepmother, his mama Kay, she has passed away. How can he be here? Look at the Bible. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 2, be ready in season and out of season. I was not expecting this. This is an out of season for me. But it doesn't derail me from worshiping my God. Uh, number two, I'm not going to make it. If I don't start going, I'm not going to make it. Oh, mercy. Number two, singing. Singing. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul writing to the church. This is an element that you see in the church. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. And if you're like me, you read that first part and you go, thank you, thank you that you said speaking and not singing. Because I cannot sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I can't do it. So thank you, Paul. You must not be able to sing either. And then we're hit with the second part. He says, not only should you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Look at this next word. Here it is. You ought to be singing them too. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now the word in your heart, yes, means internal. But it, the internal. Look, if you like me. If Jesus, if it's in here, it's coming out here. You, you just can't help it. You can't help it. I got a case of the can't help it. So when I got saved, I just I had to tell somebody. I just, and I couldn't, I couldn't be quiet about it. I just had to continue to tell people about Jesus. The same thing in regards to singing and making this melody in your heart. If it's in your heart, it's coming out through your mouth. Number three, here's the third one. The third element you see here at Maysville. Commitment. Commitment. Here's one we need to work on here at Maysville. COVID has done a number in relationship to commitment. And I'm just going to be honest with you as a pastor. Remember what my job is. My job is to convince you. And I've got one thing I want to convince you of. This is the one thing that I want to convince everybody here of. This is truth. And if you will follow this, you will be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. If you follow it. That, that's what I'm trying to convince but in regards to this issue of rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, it's my responsibility as a pastor through the exhortation of the Word of God with gentleness and loving kindness and patience to teach you, but also to rebuke. 
That is in response to the correction that needs to happen within the congregation. And what he's referring to, and what I'm seeing here in relationship to the, one of the primary elements that you're going to see here at Maysville Baptist Church is commitment. COVID has tried its best to derail that commitment. And what I'm saying to you is, don't let that happen, church. Stay committed. Stay committed to your small group. Stay committed to your calling. Stay committed to your teaching. Stay committed to what God's called you to do. Here's the next one, prayer. You will see prayer when you come to Maysville Baptist Church. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. I didn't ask you to do it. I didn't expect you to do it. I don't tell you to do it. But by His very nature... When he came up here to pray, when Eric came up here to pray, the natural response to his approach to God was to get down on his knees and begin to pray. Did you notice that? This natural tendency. You see that in this worship service. At the end of the invitation, uh, in response to what, the gar- what, what God is telling each one of us, we invite you to come and respond to what God has told you through prayer, through communicating with Him, kneeling down and bowing down before Him as an act of reverence and worship. Number three, or excuse me, number next. I don't have any numbers by mine. I just got a bunch of points. Number next, what number is this? Number five, uh, hearing the Word. Hearing the Word. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. There's something to be said about hearing the preaching of the Word of God. This is, let me just go back to correcting. Here's one of the things I'm telling you in relationship to commitment. Everybody that's a member of this church, that works in this church, that has a job in this church, everybody needs to hear their pastor preach. They need to be a part of a worship service. This is why we need to get back to one service so the, so the, 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 the job pool, so to speak, is one that we're able to spread this thing out where everybody takes turns ministering so everybody can hear the pastor preach. Number six, giving. The Bible says concerning giving, so let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of ne- uh, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheer- cheerful giver. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Here's what you won't hear me say. You will not hear me say, if you can't give 10%, don't give anything. That's not scriptural. Now, I- I've got peers that will disagree in regards to my New Testament position on giving. I've got peers that say, Shane, you, you are I'm telling you, you should be pointing to the Old Testament and say 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%. Here's the problem I have with it. The New Testament, when Jesus came and he changed this whole thing away from the law to grace through faith in Jesus Christ, he said it's no longer 10%, it's 100%. He owns it all. And so your responsibility in having the freedom of Jesus Christ in being a born-again child of God is to get on your knees. I don't care if it's yearly, monthly, uh, uh, whether that be um, uh, quarterly. It doesn't matter to me. But you have got to get alone with God and say, God, how much is enough? Because some of you God has blessed in such a way that he is not wanting you to give 10%. He's asking you to give 12, 15, 20. 
There are those of you whose faith is as small, if not smaller, than a mustard seed. And you're just like, I I just don't know that I can trust God. I'm struggling with trusting God. And all I'm telling you is this is the only thing God tells you to test him on. And he says, test me. And if the strength of your faith and that faith test that you want to put before God is only 1%, then you start there. But you don't be comfortable there because you're going to find out very quickly that God's not only going to meet that need, and you may not even be able to explain it, but we've had people in this church start at 1%, and today they're given 11 One of the great joys of my heart is when a member comes up to me, and this really happened. I stand out there greeting people as they were leaving. A member come through, shook my hand, tears swelled up in their eyes. They said this right here, Pastor, it's the first time I ever in the history of my Christian faith heard that God owns it all and that I need to start somewhere. I thought, I was under the impression that if I can't give 10%, I shouldn't give anything. So I have started, I started giving at 3%, and we've increased percentages every year. You ought to see giving here. The next one, number seven, baptism. We saw baptism here, Romans 6, chapter 3, uh, chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Uh, the Bible's clear. The Bible says, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into his death, and that just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The next one, uh, number 8, meditating. You ought to see meditation here. So what are you talking about? No, I'm not talking about yoga. So I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual meditation. Look at what the Bible says or listen to what the Scripture says. You can write it down. Look it up in Scripture. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable to us. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20 says this, But let the Lord, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all earth keep silent before him. What we're just simply saying is this. There ought to be a season in our life, uh, whether that be before service, after service, where we think about what God is saying. When we approach God and we pray to God, there are basically there are basically six elements that we see. Uh, we see praise to God, we see thanksgiving to God, we see confession to God, we see intercession to God, uh, we see petition to God where we ask God for some things. And then the sixth thing, and many times we, we fail in this, and that is hearing, listening, meditating on what God is saying to us. This ought to be something that we participate in in regards to being a member at Maysville Baptist Church. Number eight, nine, where are we at? You got the, I'm at number seven on my sheet. There, there we go. All right, so number nine, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Uh, we've already talked about that. Number ten, fellowship. Here's another thing that we're trying to fix at Maysville. If you came to our uh, spring concert, man, wasn't that a lot of fun? We want more of that. We want to have more of that. This is another reason why your pastor is so burdened to go to one service. Uh, I wish that I could, I wish we all could just be together and worship one time collectively as one congregation. Do you see when the scripture talks about ecclesia, when the scripture talks about a church, it talks about a congregation, and it talks about that one congregation. You, this is one congregation. 
But here in just a few moments when we dismiss and you go to Bible study and another group goes in here, we're still Maysville Baptist Church, but it is a second congregation. And there will be a different personality. There will be a different energy. There will be a different... It will all be different. Different needs. And I want to get everybody together so that we can experience and worship together and have the fellowship together. And we see that when we do these outside events and we're working on that. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And then let me give you this 11th one. A response through invitation. You'll see that here at Maysville. James 1.22 says this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you don't, you're just deceiving yourselves. So as we approach the invitation here in just a little while, we ask ourselves the question, okay, God, what's my response to you? And bowing and listening and meditating on what God has just said to us, we walk in fellowship with him and with our other brothers and sisters here at Maysville. So, so here, don't, don't miss this. Here's the goal of participating in biblical worship. The goal in participating in biblical worship here this morning and in months and years to come, every week, is discipleship. We want to grow up in Jesus Christ. And by the way, let me just say this about our music. Maysville Baptist Church music style, if anybody asks, we're blended. We have a blended style. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it comes right out of the Word of God. It says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There are psalms that we reflect on. There are old traditional hymns. And by the way, when you see that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, you see that word hymns? might be good to write this in your Bible underneath that hymn. You might you write this. Does not mean red book. It did not exist in the first century church. Okay? All right, that's just important. But also the spiritual songs as well. What he's saying here is as generations progress, there are these spiritual songs that we have in our heart that they come out and we sing them to the grace of God. Number two, I've got to hurry. I'm out of time. That's just going to be great. Uh, Loving others. How do we love others? What does that mean? It means this. We love others by participating in biblical discipleship through small groups. This is going to go by real fast. Small groups. What is biblical discipleship, especially in regards to small groups? There are six primary elements of a small group Bible study here at Maysville Baptist Church. Number one is prayer. James chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible talks about prayer. When you go to your small group Bible study, whether that be on campus or off campus, there ought to be prayer. Number two, ought to be teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2. The Bible tells us that there's this giftedness of teaching. And through this giftedness of teaching, we participate that in that in our small groups. Number three, caring. John 3.35, by this, will, uh, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There ought to be caring in your small group. And by the way, that's the primary way that we meet the needs of others. You understand that as, as pastor at Maysville Baptist Church, we fall into the large church category. But what's very unusual is people tell me all the time, especially here at Maysville, this doesn't feel like a large church. It feels just like a, a really small, intimate congregation. What makes it this way are small groups. 
And in order for it to continue to stay that way, you have to be involved in those small groups so that you can see this prayer, teaching, and caring atmosphere that exists inside that structure. Again, we see that in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 32, and again in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. Great verses to look at uh, when you uh, maybe this week study it just a little bit more. Uh, here's the, num- the next one, number four. <clears throat> Accountability. Accountability. Here's what, this is what will separate us from every other religion. In relationship to Jesus Christ, that sets us apart. But one thing the culture doesn't have that what I'm saying we need here at Maysville Baptist Church and that you will find in a small group is accountability. We don't want to be accountable to anybody. Not today in this culture. Not in the West. Accountability is a no-no. In Scripture, however, it's vitally important to the health of your relationship with Christ. And so the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And the only way that you can do that is to be with other individuals. And you're with other individuals in a small group environment and relationship. Uh, Number five, fellowship. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 17, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I want you to notice in this passage the conditional clause, if. It's a matter of choice. If you walk in the light, and what we're saying is a portion of that light that you get from Jesus is in this small group environment. If you walk in that light, then you'll have fellowship with one another. And you can only have fellowship with someone else is to be in in the same uh, ship with someone else, in the same boat with someone else. There's no fellowship if you're alone. So, well, I've got fellowship with Jesus. True, but this passage of Scripture is referring to the fellowship you have with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So there ought to be, a, 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 there ought to be this, this uh, place where you can go and have fellowship with brothers and sisters, not just in a corporate worship setting, but in a small group setting that we call small groups here. And then the last one, evangelism. The only way we'll see more people saved here at Maysville Baptist Church is to get to know lost people and invite them into our world. Invite them into our small group settings. Evangelism is such a vitally important aspect of our small groups. The Bible tells us in First John, excuse me, in Acts chapter 1-8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If we don't have evangelism in our small groups, why are our small groups existing? Because our calling is to reproduce ourselves, and so we want to see our small group grow, and the proper growth is not church transfer, but to see lost people get saved and they do that by seeing Jesus in you so the goal in participating in biblical small groups again is discipleship and here's the last one serving the world by participating in biblical missions locally and globally what is biblical missions three things very quickly number one biblical missions consist of three primary scriptures the first one is the great commandment. That's found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Jesus said there are only two commandments in the New Testament that you and I are to follow. Number one is to love God, and number two is to love your neighbor. Number two, the second great uh, scripture that we find is called the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We've studied it many times, but the Bible says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the third great passage of Scripture that we find in regards to biblical missions is Acts 1.8. I call this the Great Commentary. The Great Commentary says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, or you'll be witnesses of me, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is accomplished locally and globally by obeying the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. By obeying those two things, we find the power of God rests upon us that regardless of where we're at, whether it be at a back-to-school bash where we have six people come to know Jesus Christ or whether that be at a bow shoot, again, where we have six or seven folks come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, at a funeral, regardless of where we're at, and Sunday morning, people are getting saved. Why? Because we believe in regards to this issue of loving God, that it means that we're participating in missions locally as well as globally as we obey the Great Commission. So at Maysville Baptist Church, our purpose statement exists to challenge us to love God by participating in biblical worship, to love others by participating in biblical discipleship through small groups, and to serve the world by participating in biblical missions locally, and globally, that is our purpose statement. Number two. The second is our faith statement. What is our faith statement? You don't hear this much being talked about, but it's something we practice. Our faith statement is just simply this. In essential beliefs, we have unity. In non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. In all beliefs, we show charity. What I mean by that is just simply this. In essential beliefs, we have unity. That is to say there are some things that you and I, as a member at Maysville Baptist Church, that believe that are essential. Every one of those essential beliefs are found right here in this little book. As a Southern Baptist Church, Lifeway has come together and says this is our statement of faith. This is our faith statement. And as a Southern Baptist, we agree with the faith statement of the Baptist faith and message, the year 2000. And it gives us insight in relationships to the Scriptures and to God and God the Father and, and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. It gives insight into all of these issues that are listed there like salvation and, and the church. It even gives insight in regards to the essentials of where we believe in baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the Christian order of society. I call your attention, uh, if I could, uh, in regards to number 15 very quickly. And I only have, can pick one, and I guess this is the one I'm going to pick since that's the one I mentioned. Number 15, the Christian and the, and the social order. Now, in the social order, he's not talking about Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. A Southern Baptist in the social order, that is the order in which we live on in the government that we are in. Notice what, 
we believe. We believe that all Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of God, uh, the, the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. Means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly, permanently helpful only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. In the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism, every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all life, uh, of, of all human life from conception to natural death. Every Christian should seek to bring industry and government and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of God, uh, of, excuse me, of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. And then there's proof text all through it. And this is just one example of the essentials that we believe. But in these essentials, we have unity. Number two. In non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. What is the liberty that we have in non-essential beliefs? Romans chapter 14, verses 1, 4, 12, and 22. I would ask that you would read that uh, when you get home or study it just a little bit more. But it talks about the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. And this liberty is one thing that Paul picks up on and preaches probably more than any other topic in his, in his pastoral ministry. He wants us to understand that we have liberty in Jesus Christ. And the liberty that we have is to promote the gospel and if the gospel is squashed because of our liberty then we've got to not practice that liberty so what what are our non-essentials if I could just briefly give you a couple of non-essentials that we have people that have different beliefs here at Maysville Baptist Church one is eschatology we have people in here that believe in pre, pre-tribulational rapture. We've got some that believe in mid-tribulational rapture. We have post-tribulational rapture. Some believe in no rapture. Uh, they're all, millennial, all millennialist. That's okay. That's a non-essential. The fact of the matter is, bless God, he's coming back. And when we get there and, we, and, and I'm right, then I'll say, I told you so. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Please don't be hurt over that. Number two, another thing is creation. This is a non-essential creation. Now, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, you've got believers that some hold in creationism that we are living on a young earth, four to 6,000 years old. And then there are other Christians that say, no, uh, we really don't know if God created in a 24-hour period, and so this is an old earth. It doesn't matter. This is a non-essential Again, when we get to heaven and you see that this is a young earth and see that I was right, then I'll be fine. Everybody will be okay. Creation. And here's another one, spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Differ, some, many differ on spiritual gifts. But this is a, a non-essential that we must practice and have grace for one another and have liberty for one another in regards to that. 
And then here's one last one, and again, that's tithing. You just heard me say there are individuals that are out there at Southern Baptist that uh, 10%, man, if you ain't preaching 10%, that's it. And then there are others like myself that say it all belongs to God. You, you better get with God and ask him what he wants you to do because you'll be in sin. If he's saying give one and you're giving another, you're in trouble. But this is a non-essential. So in that, we have liberty. We have liberty in that. And then the last one is, in all our beliefs, we show charity. So what do you mean by that? 1 Corinthians 13, 2, Paul said this. He says, though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and knowledge and I have not faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love. If I don't have love, he says, I'm nothing. And so... I've had you come to me and you would say something like this, Pastor, can I invite Jehovah Witnesses to come be a part of this worship? Yes. I disagree with their belief system. It's not biblical. Are they welcome to come worship with us? Yes, I hope they get saved. I want to show love to them. Same thing, Lutherans, Roman Catholics, Protestants. Uh, Protestants, that's us too. Uh, Presbyterians is what I meant to say. They're, I mean, they're all welcome. We love them. We showed love towards them. Preacher, can I invite my homosexual brother to come to church? Yes. We're not putting something on the door that says, you're not welcome. If we're looking for a perfect place, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble because I'm here. We're in trouble because you're here. We're really in trouble because it's time to go. Well, this, you know, one service will solve all these problems. Let me uh, close because I just, I need to. At Maysville Baptist Church, we are not perfect. And uh, this is not a perfect congregation. I'm not a perfect pastor. And one of the things I tell our young pastors, and by the way, I'm, they are growing up really nice, really nice. I am very excited about our young pastors. And uh, I'm praying, Connor, as God's working in his life uh, to do great things. And I'm praying for all of you. God's, there are several. we got six men right now that God's calling into the ministry uh, and, and we're working with. And it's just really exciting to see what God's doing. I'm praying for you that God's working with you. But this is not a perfect place. But here's what I tell these guys. At Maysville Baptist Church, you've got a place that you're allowed to make mistakes. And we're going to get up. We're going to identify those mistakes. We're going to brush ourselves off. And we're going to continue to move forward for the glory of God. But let me just say one mistake we cannot make. We cannot make the mistake of not giving a public invitation. If we fail in this area, we have failed to do what God's called us to do. If we're going to make, an, an, if we're going to make discipleship a priority here, then we've got to give people an invitation to join us. And I know that in the past, and you look at history, people really, man, when I was in Bible college, I got a, they, they called me Bible thumper, they called me Jesus lover, and that's fine. I'm, I loved every bit of it. But this is in seminary. They were, they're making fun of me in seminary. I'm being joked about and ridiculed in seminary. Why? Because I give a public invitation. 
I got, I got a phone call from a pastor, and he said, Pastor, what is it? What, what is the one thing? What's the one thing that you're doing that I'm not, that I'm not seeing any results? I said, well, that's easy. You're not giving an invitation. So this morning, I want to give you an invitation. I want to invite you, number one, to receive Christ as your Savior. Recognize you're a sinner, turn from your sin, and come to Jesus. Number two, I want to give you an invitation to respond to the message that God's given you in His Word. Number three, I want to give you an invitation to join with this fellowship. we got one more session that's left, but you see primarily what we believe in regards to our statement of faith. So I want to give you those three invitations. Could we bow for prayer? Father, I pray you'd have your way in this invitation. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.